Independence Day. Yes, freedom, freedom, freedom. Amen. A few announcements. Um, now, when I mention this, I don't expect anybody to uh, participate, be there. It's, it's informational. But for my campaign, we have a meet and greet on uh, July 4th on Tuesday at uh, a bakery in Sugar Creek. And then there's going to be several of us that are going to participate for the campaign in a parade. And um, out there on the table in the foyer, we have a small fireworks assortment that we are raffling off. We're going to do the drawing uh, at the meet and greet as soon as that is over on the 4th at 10.30 in the morning. If you'd like to participate in that, you're welcome to. But also on the table, there's some constitutions out there, little booklets. And then we also printed off um, the Declaration of Independence. If you haven't read that or haven't read it lately, I would highly encourage you to read that and see all the similarities to this day and time of what's really happening and going on. And then um, on the, the other sheet that's out there is called the 56 signers of the Declaration and some of the things that they went through and suffered because uh, they put their name on that, that document. July 4th, what is that a celebration of? Independence, freedom. Let's get real specific. What happened on July 4th, 1776? For the reason why we celebrate independence. There was a document. What was the document? The Declaration of Independence. What happened to the Declaration of Independence? This is tricky. On July 4th, 1776. Amen. Yep, very good. It was actually the date that the, the uh, Declaration of Independence was ratified. What date was it signed? It was actually signed by John Hancock on July 2nd. But it was ratified on the 4th. And then 56 signers signed on to it between the 4th and August 2nd. Some didn't sign at all. Some signed after that. So you guys didn't do real well on that question. So I have some others for you. <coughs> what two presidents died on the exact same day? within hours of each other. I saw Amy's hand first. And what day was that? I I saw I saw Delinda's hand first. It was fourth of July. How many years after the <laughs> Amy 
50, on the 50-year anniversary of the ratification of the Declaration of Independence, both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died within hours of each other. Is that amazing? Okay, here's a tricky one, Amy, Delinda. How old was John Adams and how old was Thomas Jefferson when they died? <laughs> 76. John Adams was 90 and Thomas Jefferson was 83, I believe. Now, yes? Okay. Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. Calvin Coolidge. Hey, welcome, welcome. There's a flag that just walked in. <laughs> okay, there was another president. <laughs> there was another president that died on the 4th of July. Who was it? Five years later. Yeah. Five years later, it was John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died on the 4th of July, 50 year anniversary. Yeah, James Monroe. He was the fifth president and he died five years later in 1830. What's that? A lot of fives. Okay, I've got I've got some more. This is really difficult. Part of it will be easy. What founding father was an orphan, an officer in the Revolutionary War, wrote 51 uh, articles in the Federalist Papers, and was this this I'm going to give it away, and was the first U.S. Treasury Secretary under George Washington and how did he die? Yeah, that's exactly right. Alexander Hamilton in a duel with Aaron Burr. How old was he? Here's another five. He was 50. Aaron Burr? I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. Who knows the answer to that? Why did, and it was Aaron Burr that uh, challenged Hamilton to a duel. Does anybody know why? Don't say a woman. <laughs> Hamilton, it was political. Hamilton did not like Aaron Burr and worked against him for his run for vice president. And then again, I think governor of New York, if I remember right. And Aaron Burr had a Burr in his saddle and challenged him to a duel. From my understanding back then, duels were basically gentleman stuff and it was an obligation to shoot away from them. And Hamilton apparently did, but Aaron Burr didn't. And he suffered from his wounds and died the day after. When you really look at, 
you know, our founding fathers and some of the things that, not just the history books, but some of the things they really dealt with, went through the arguments, you know, and those kinds of things, not a whole lot's changed. And in some respects, it was pretty rough back then. (laughs) Did you have something, Terry? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Huh? <laughs> One last announcement. Um, just to continue to make you guys aware of artificial intelligence. Uh, has anybody been paying attention to AI, artificial intelligence? Um I mean, the technology that they're using is just really ramping up, and uh, you can find some stuff on Facebook. There's there's some fake Jesuses out there that you can talk to and ask questions to, and there's some churches that are using AI in their worship services. Um, from my understanding, I heard this a few weeks ago, Paul McCartney is going to, you know, Paul McCartney of the Beatles, I figured this crowd knew who I was talking to about is um, going to be producing some of the Beatles songs, some of the old tracks that haven't been really produced before. And what I understand, they're going to have John Lennon on these tracks in an AI version. So you just need to be aware of, we have to have solid spiritual discernment in this day and time, because not everything that we see is what we think we're seeing. We have to have spiritual discernment. What's that? Yeah, John Lennon didn't get... Are you talking about John Lennon? Oh. He did not? Oh, okay. Let's. We're going to continue this morning again with faith. Wow, that was a raucous... <laughs> Yay! Okay, if you can uh, turn to Galatians 5, Habakkuk 2, Hebrews 12, Luke 18, Romans 4, and then Romans 10, and hold your places in all those. We'll, we won't be looking at them in order, but... <laughs> our relational union with our Father is based on... What would you say? What's it really based on? Union with the Father. Jesus. Faith. Love. Good. Good, good, good stuff. It's based on a loving union, right, with the Lord. And because of Christ, He made that possible. And it goes beyond having a relationship, but having koinonia, which is an intimate and very personal, deep oneness with the Lord. But all of that requires faith. How would you define faith? What is faith? Why I take another drink of coffee. All right. Well, we're just going to start again from last week. Faith is very simple. It's trust and confidence in God. Trust and confidence in God. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11. This is all review. 
Hebrews 10.32, all four of these scriptures say the exact same thing. And it says this, the righteous shall live, how? By faith. Faith, which is what? Trust and confidence in God. It's not trust and confidence in self. It's not trust and confidence in my confession. It's not trust and confidence in my belief. It's not trust and confidence in anything about me. It's trust and confidence in God, in him, the person of God. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Now, that's quite a statement back then, especially if a Jew read it. For in Christ Jesus, neither, and this is Paul writing to the, the uh, Ecclesia at Galatians, there's neither, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Faith, trust and confidence in God, working through love. Every relationship, every relationship, even if you don't know the person, even a relationship with a business or a store, whatever it is, every relationship must have some level of trust or there's no relationship. There's none. And the closer you are with a person, like the closest with your spouse, Having trust and confidence in one another is absolutely critical and required. Or you don't have much of a relationship at all. I love the way Jesus put it. Matter of fact, I love the way Jesus put everything. But he said this when he was being tempted. Man shall not live by bread alone. But how? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what was Jesus saying? Man, which is all man. This is the way man was created. Saint and sinner, believer, non-believer. Men were created to not live by bread. Bread represents the natural. Not to live by the natural alone. Like I mentioned last week. There are many things that we do all day long that we don't have a word from God for. I don't need a word from God to brush my teeth. I don't need to have a word from God, you know, to sit down. Now, I may be sitting down and the Lord say, don't sit down. Something wrong with that chair. Like I said last week, I've been a youth pastor long enough. I need to check the chair out, make sure it's safe for me to sit down (laughs) because of pranks. If I'm walking across the street and a car is coming, zooming fast, I don't need a word from the Lord to run to get out of the way. That's living by the natural. If it's raining outside, I don't need a word from the Lord to get out of the rain. Right? There's many things we do all day long that we don't have to have a specific word or a scripture to be obedient to. That's living by the natural. God gave us a brain. God gave us understanding that that we're able to make decisions. But at all times, we ought to always be aware because God may be saying something different. Like, don't take this route, your normal route to work every day. Go this way. He may not, I may not need a word from God to brush my teeth in the morning, but he may have something to say about the toothpaste I use. And we just stay aware and listening to him. So Jesus saying, man shall not live by the natural bread alone. But by 
all of the words that you really like that proceed out of the mouth of God. All the real positive, feel-good words that God speaks. Live by those. No, he said every word. Ones you don't like. Ones that maybe seem a little harsh to you. Every word. That's how we were created to live. That's what Jesus is saying. He said man shall. He didn't say the Christian shall or the Jew shall. He said man. All men are created to live for their orientation of life, to having trust and confidence in their creator God by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And we know that many words have already proceeded from his mouth and they've, they're written down. But there are many times, like some of the illustrations I gave, we need to have a word from God, who to marry, where to live, what job to do, all of these different things that are not in Scripture. But God, what are you saying to us specifically? So man shall not live by the natural alone, but by every rhema word spoken out of the mouth of God. Again, and I may say this several times, faith is not initiated by us. Faith is not initiated by us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, and Jay just read this, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. What is he referencing there? Well, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 11 is uh, like a hall of faith, talking about men and women of old who have stand, stood in the face of horrible situations and continue to believe God, have trust and confidence in what God said. That's the cloud of witnesses is being referenced there. Let us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, what is an encumbrance? It says an encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. An encumbrance can be good things that weigh us down, sidetrack, steal our attention, our energy, our resources. Even good things can become an encumbrance. In our walk with the Lord and our race with Him. And then it says, in the sin which so easily entangles us. There's one sin that easily entangles most people, if not all of us. It's unbelief. Unbelief. Why were the children of Israel not allowed by God to go from the wilderness into the promised land, he waited until that generation died. There was one reason. It was unbelief. It wasn't murder. It wasn't sexual sin. It wasn't a number of different things. Homosexuality. It was unbelief. You know why? Because unbelief leads to all the other things. All the sins manifestation of a root cause, which is really unbelief. Let us lay aside every encumbrance, all the good things that are weighing us down, sidetracking us, and the sin which easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not glancing at Him on Sundays. Fixing every day. He is our GPS. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Now, all this so far is a review of last week. Many translations says the author and perfecter of our faith. The word our is not in the original text. It's the author and perfecter of faith. Go back to the the beginning of verse 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith. The word author there means leader. In other words, he is the one who led in faith. He's the one that is our example of one living by faith. And then it says, and perfecter. The word perfecter actually means finisher. He completed So in other words, he's the one that led a life by faith as our example of living by faith. And not only that, he completed his life in faith. He's the perfecter. He finished completely. It is now Jesus who is our example of living a life of faith. Now, it's amazing to me, thinking of all of the believers that lived before Christ, like the ones in Hebrews chapter 11, how they, without having Jesus as that example, without really having Scripture, and still live the life of faith. And we have everything now. You know what we have? What we don't have? I'll put it that way. We don't have an excuse. We don't have an excuse. Christ gave us us everything. He provided everything for us. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. He gave us an example through the scriptures. An example in the gospels of how to live. How to interact. What was important. What was not important. All the things he focused on. The things that he taught. We've been given everything. There's nothing lacking. He didn't forget to give us something. When you think of that one scripture, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything means really everything. That's that's the biblical translation of the word everything. It's everything. Now think of this. In context of what we were just talking about in Hebrews, where Jesus... Fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author or the leader, our example, and he's the finisher of of a life of faith. Think about the times in which he lived. In other words, they were not peaceful, rose gardeny times. They were tumultuous times. The nation was under foreign occupation. There were all kinds of political factions. There were religious factions. The temple worship was a complete disaster. That sounds very similar to our times, doesn't it? And just a few things that I mentioned. Luke 18.8 says this. 
Jesus ends, he says this at the end of a parable about persistent faith. You remember about the unrighteous judge and the woman? It's not about pestering God and God getting tired of our pestering and he'll answer questions. It's about being persistent. It's about being faithful in prayer. And then Jesus said this, when the Son of Man comes, will he find love on the earth? No, it's faith. Will he find faith? Now, think about the times the Bible says in which Jesus is going to return, what those times are going to be like. Is it going to be a rose garden? Is it going to be peaceful? Is it going to be just wonderful? Everything's going smooth. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. The, ro- the roses are giving their fragrance and everybody's happy. Worse than any other time on earth. And what did Jesus says? When he comes back, will he find faith? In a tumultuous time, will he find those that are still trusting God and still confident in what God says, even though they may not see the promise? Hebrews 11, when you talk about all those, the hall of faith there. They died without receiving the promise, but they did not become weak in faith. See, it's at those points that when our hope is deferred, our prayers don't seem to be getting answered, chaos everywhere, trouble, sickness, disease, you name it, Job, the life of Job. It's in those times that it's easy to lose hope and lose faith. But you know what? It's also very easy in times of peace and contentment and things are going well to also. Turn to Romans chapter 4. As you do that, I'm going to quote Hebrews 6.12. It says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice it doesn't just say faith. But patience. Let me give you a hint or a little help. Don't pray for patience. Don't do it. (laughs) I'm just being goofy. See, God loves us so much. He is going to work all of the character traits of Christ in us. And when we are in need of patience, he puts us in situations where more patience is required. So it's worked in us and through us. And you could say that about every every character trait, love, kindness. See, it's easy to be kind to other people that are kind, but God will put you with people that are not kind. And let's not talk about that. Let's go on to Romans chapter four. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. This is talking about Abraham. Abraham was our father in the faith. 
And what did God promise to Abraham? Actually, what did God promise to Abram? And then he changed his name to Abraham. He would have, that's right, he'd be a father of many nations. He would uh, have, a, have an heir. And he didn't have a child yet. And God waited until he was a hundred. And Sarah was old. And they were beyond childbearing age. You see, sometimes God does take us through situations and puts us in situations where we have no other hope but Him. There's no other natural remedy, solution, but Him. And that's what He did with Abram. And He, Abram, he changes His name. We know this, right? God changed His name to Abraham. Abraham meaning an exalted father of a multitude. But just as a reminder, Abraham did not initiate that faith and decide he was going to call himself a father of a multitude, Abraham, until God told him, I'm changing your name. Then he did what? He just said what God said. My name is Abraham. I am a father, an exalted father of a multitude without any children. But the point is, he didn't initiate that. He didn't say, I want to be a father of a multitude, so I'm just going to change my name and tell everybody that I'm just going to confess it and I'm just going to believe God before God ever said anything. We can't believe God for anything He doesn't say. That's a huge pet peeve of me. When I, I hear people saying, I believe God for this and I'm believing God for that. Well, did God tell you? Do you have a word? Did you hear God tell you that? Because if you didn't, you can't believe God. How can you believe God for something He never said? It's such common sense, really, but sometimes it's lacking in Christian circles. So verse 18, in hope against hope, He believed. Hope against hope? In hope against hope. So that he might become a father of, uh, of many nations according to that which had been spoken. This is such key when it comes to faith. I want to drive this point home as long as we're talking about it. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Romans 10:17. Faith by hearing. The word comes is not in there either, but it, it works. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When God speaks it, when Jesus speaks it, when the Holy Spirit speaks it, or we have Scripture for it, then we have a basis to put trust and confidence, because faith is what? Trust and confidence in God. That's why you can't believe God for something He hasn't said, because it's not faith, because faith is in God, in Him. In hope against hope, he believes so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith. 
he did contemplate his own body and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise. So in the natural, it's impossible. Sarah's womb's dead. We're old. It can't happen. Natural hope. Natural situation. It can't happen. But because God said. Not because I want. I desire. I would like to. But because God said it. So. I may have some physical ailments. And I may have an ailment that's incurable by our medical field. So I have no hope. My hope is dead in the natural medical field. But God said. And now I have a choice. Which one am I going to believe? And I can say, look, I've got this incurable disease. This is in my body. That's factual and that's true. And I have no hope in the natural. But God said this. I contemplate my own body. Can't happen in the natural. Impossible. But God says otherwise. And now I have a choice. Who, what am I going to put my trust in? My faith. He did contemplate his own body. Now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's room, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. And he didn't have Jesus as his example. The new covenant. The new birth. He came from an idol-worshipping family. See how simple faith really is? It's so simple. Do you know, when I became a Christian, I heard so many, and I'm just going to say it for what it really was, confusing messages about what faith really is. For years, I was confused. I, I, I couldn't even really explain what it was. I, I came, when I was born again, I was right into charismatic circles. I came from a Catholic family, and that's a big difference. <laughs> but the circles in which I traveled in, you don't dare say you're sick, or got a disease, or struggling with something, because the answer was always the same. You either have a lack of faith or you're in sin. And that's not true. It could be, but it's not true necessarily true. And I came from circles that were more into, and I'm just going to call it like it really is too, magic than faith. Magic is saying all of the right prescription of words. Oh, don't speak that over yourself. Oh, don't say that. Don't say anything negative. Don't say you have. Don't say you have a sickness. Don't you know that you are healed by Jesus stripes? So don't speak that. I remember one time I was at a person that believed like this 
house and their dog was acting all goofy. And I said, oh, that's a goofy dog. Don't speak that over him. Why, if I say he's a goofy dog, all of a sudden he's going to become a goofy dog? I mean, by my judgment, he's already goofy. (laughs) But that's the wackiness that gets into our thinking. It's, It's crazy to me. And it took me years to come out of that. It really did. It was it was a struggle because I was in it was I was indoctrinated into that way of thinking. There's there's a couple people. Anybody else you identify with what I'm saying on that whole? You know, I had uh, and I've told this numerous times. I had a the only way I can experience it is a dark night of the soul period of time where I felt like I was in, I literally felt like uh, the only way I can describe it at the time, I was in a toilet and it was flushed. And you know, when you flush a toilet, anybody ever watch your toilet when you flush it? You should. It's interesting. I'm just it, be, it begins to spin and then it spins faster just before it's gone to the Missouri River. <laughs> and that's the way I felt like I was in that been and just any second it was going to, I was going to be out of control. I was, you know, really being um, attacked. This was all personal, like within me, internal is what I should say. Attacked by demonic spirits. I had thoughts of suicide. I, w- I was in the ministry. Um, I had thoughts of suicide. I had thoughts of divorce. Um, I'd lay there at night just tormented and, um, I had thoughts of just putting my own personal stuff in my truck and leaving Renee and just going driving to whatever. It was horrible. I had I was a business owner and I was a youth pastor at the time. And our marriage was fine. The business was fine. And the youth ministry was fine. That was what was interesting. But personally, I was just, and I didn't know anybody. I'd never heard anybody even talk about it before. And I made the largest mistake ever. I made two of them. One is, I didn't tell anybody about what I was going through, even my wife. And didn't mention it. I just struggled in silence. The only thing, you ever sit, lay there or sit there and you pray and you feel like as soon as the words come out, they were lead and they just hit the floor? A few that I did at that, during that time. I felt like God was on the other side of the planet. Maybe he was on another planet doing whatever, but he forgot me. And I couldn't pray. I mean, I would pray and it just was like, everything was like, and I was just living by um, rote behavior. You know what I mean? Doing the things I knew I was supposed to be doing. Going to work and taking care of the youth, all those kinds of things. But it was horrible. It was a horrible time. And like I said, I, had, I, I didn't feel like I had anybody I can really talk to. I should have mentioned it to my wife at least, and I didn't. You know how Renee found out? When I preached it from the pulpit, that's not a good time for her to find out. Yeah, that was that was my second big mistake. And one of the reasons why I didn't go to my pastor, or I didn't go to other people is because of what I was just talking about. You start mentioning some of that kind of stuff that you deal with and people. And I learned that when I went through this, a lot of people deal with this. And they suffer in silence because they're afraid to say anything. Oh, you're in sin. Oh, you're lack of faith. No, just the enemy's attacking and I need help. He attacked Jesus. 
What happened immediately after Jesus was water baptized and filled with the Spirit? Demonic attack. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days. Anyway, it's sad some of the stuff that has been taught and said about faith. And faith is such so foundational to our walk with the Lord. It's so foundational. I want to talk about for just a minute the difference between the word, the English word believe and the word faith. Because in most of our translations, English translations, a lot of times a word for faith is actually translated believe in English. And I think it's done a huge disservice. Because how do you define the word believe in English? Terry? A personal opinion? Like I believe something? Or we'll use it like this. I believe the sun is hot. I believe the sky is blue. I believe that Jesus is Lord. But belief has become agreeing with certain facts as being true. Right? Am I right or wrong? I mean, to now, so many people... How many of you have ever talked to somebody about the Lord and they say, well, I believe Jesus is Lord or Jesus is the Son of God or Jesus went to the cross? I believe. In other words, they're saying they're agreeing with a set of facts. But that belief doesn't save anybody. Because that belief is not faith. Just because I believe something doesn't mean I'm going to put faith, trust, and confidence in. And so now many people believe just because they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the Savior, that they're safe. And that's not true. The Bible says the demons believe. They know. But they're not saved. And so oftentimes when we read that word believe, it's really a word in uh, Scripture, a word for faith, having trust and confidence. And so I think that word has done some misservice in understanding of the trust and confidence because you can believe something. But what is faith? Faith is I believe the fact or the truth and have trust and confidence in it that I'm going to respond and act on it. I'm going to do something. Faith requires action. Romans 10:17 again says for faith and the word comes is not in the original text. Faith by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith is trusting what God has said or is saying. Faith, really, the potential to trust and confidence is carried in the Word of Christ. It's carried in it. Faith begins where Christ's Word is heard. We must first hear or know the Word. What is He saying? Galatians 3, 2 and verse 5 Say this, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or, and I like this phrase, hearing with faith. 
Verse 5 says the same thing. So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Because we can hear, we can hear a sermon this morning, we can hear it on the radio later or what any time during the week and say, yes, I agree with that. But if we don't have a response to it, we don't act on it, it isn't faith. It's in your head. We are agreeing with certain facts. Now, I want to mention something that I know I have struggled with this. And I have found many people have struggled with this. And it's, a, it's, it's really a type of self-deception. And see if, the, if this pertains to you. Have you ever read Scripture and some Scripture so much? Just like what we're talking about faith. I mean, how many, looking at this crowd, how many messages on faith have you heard in your lifetime? You can't count them, right? You might have preached them. Studied it. But here, here's the self-deception. And I have found this to be true in my life. That I have said things preached things, read things, studied things, heard things so much that I'm convinced I've actually been doing them. And I haven't. You understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes you could be counseling with somebody and then you can say, hey, well, what about this? Oh, yeah, and they'll quote that scripture. But you know they're not living it. But they know it. Now, that can be, you know, just they're not doing it anyway. But, but the deceptive part of it is knowing something so well that you actually think you're doing it. I found this, uh, and Renee pointed this out more than one time early in our life, especially when I had a business. But I would, with my employees especially, and I did this with Renee too, I would rehearse conversations that I'm going to have with my employees so many times that I thought I actually talked to them and I didn't. And then I was expecting them to do what I actually told them. Thought I told them, but I, I only thought about it. Renee came to me and said, well, I had an, we had an employee come to her and say, he's never told me that. He's never told me that. Well, Renee knew I knew I had that problem. And pointed it out. I had no idea I was doing that. Does anybody relate to that at all? Just like you just think about it. I do. I need, yes, I need intervention. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> we married early. God knew. You're not making it very long <laughs> without her. <laughs> Faith is not static. True biblical faith has actions. What did James say? Chapter 2, verse 14 and 18. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no corresponding actions, he has no works? Can that faith save him? Rhetorical question. Let me answer it. No, it cannot. If a brother or sister is without clothes, clothing and in need of daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. And yet, does not give them what is necessary for their body? What use is that? I'll pray for you, brother. 
Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I want to close with this last biblical story that I have shared all of the time, a lot of times. But it's my one of my favorite illustrations of faith. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. The story comes on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He puts his disciples in the boat and the head across the other side of the lake. Jesus didn't go with them. A storm ensues. Now these guys, most of them are fishermen, so they're used to being on boats. They're used to the storm. They know how to handle themselves. It was dark. Somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Is anybody awake at that time, by the way? I am. 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. Here comes a figure walking on the water. I'm trying to figure that out with this brain, like, what's going on here? Jesus calls out, says, hey, it's, it's me. I don't know about you, but even if he called out and said it was me, I'd still be trying to figure this whole thing out. And I love what Peter did. So the simplicity of faith. Lord, if it's you. Now remember, this is not calm seas. They're in the middle of a storm. It's the water's splashing probably over the boat and the boat's rocking and Jesus is walking on top of this. And Peter says, if it's you, command me. In other words, give me a word that I will come out where you are. I believe Peter really understood how faith worked by this statement. Because he wasn't just a, you know, name it, claim it guy in the, in the water saying, well, if Jesus is out there, I'm going. I can walk on water, I can walk on water, I can walk on water. No, he said... And I'm just going to put words in his mouth. Hey, I want to do what he's doing. I want to get out there and walk on that water too. But I know I can't unless. Hope against hope. The natural, no way. The spiritual, definitely. But there's something required. I got to get a word. I got to get a word. Because if Jesus says, no, Peter, stay in the boat. What's faith? You stay in the boat. But Jesus gives them a one-word word. Come. What's Peter do? Hey, guys, what do you think? Let's phone a friend. Let's poll the audience. Can we, we fast and pray for a little bit? Don't need to do any of that. I'll let that settle for just a second. 
wasn't time for fasting, wasn't time for a prayer meeting. Had a conversation, and what does Jesus say? Come. So Peter stretches his leg out over the side of the boat. Then the second one. And then he begins to walk. And I'll submit to you, Peter or Jesus, never, neither one walked on water. Peter was walking on the Word. That Word, come, gave him the permission and now the faith, the trust and confidence. Not in the Word, in the person who gave the Word. It came from Messiah. And if Messiah says, I can do something, I can do it. So I'm walking. That's just the simplicity of faith. That's how simple it really is. It's not, I want this. Do we have to crucify that fleshly lust and passion? I want to do this and I want to do that. And and even the good things, the encumbrances, I want to start this ministry for the Lord. Lord, would you bless this? That's not faith, what I just described there. What faith is, is Chris, I want you to do this and that. Okay. Not my will, Lord, but yours. And now I'm moving. That's faith. Having trust and confidence in God. Getting a word from Him. And there's already some words here. We don't need an audible or a rhema word necessarily. What about what He's already said? And having trust and confidence in God that we will be obedient to what He says. Period. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah, I don't want to do it yet. <laughs> no. Faith. How does grace and faith work together? What is grace? Grace is the enabling power of God that will cause us to do what we cannot do on our own. Hope. What is the difference between biblical hope and and just hope? Because oftentimes we actually use the word faith as hope. Faith is not future. Faith is present. Hope is future. We say I'm standing in faith for. That's really hope. Hope is somewhere out there. When Abraham was told he's going to have a child at some point in the future, at least nine months, it's going to be future. That's hope. But it's biblical hope because God said it. That's what we'll talk about next. Faith, hope, and grace. How do these work together? Because Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, we're saved by grace through faith. It always works that way. Always. When we exercise faith, trust, and confidence in what God says, grace comes. Oftentimes people pray for grace. Do you know there's not one biblical scripture that teaches us to pray for grace? Grace is a result of walking in faith. Jesus never prayed for grace. None of the apostles ever prayed for grace. But Christians pray for grace all of the time. Grace is already get it. Grace comes through faith and enables us to do what we cannot do on our own. Amen.
glory. Anybody here sick, diseased, got something going on in their body that you would like to have prayed for, spoken? Thank you, Sandy, Bob. Can you keep your hands up for just a second? Because I'm going to ask the rest of you just to go pray for them. Speak the word of God over them that they would be whole and complete and healthy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Go ahead and do that now and then we'll be dismissed. Y'all enjoy your 4th of July, even if you don't want to. So Sandy and Bob, glory. Thank you, guys.